my conversation, my message to Canadians is, is to protect themselves regardless or any time that they deal with a bank. And, and I'm not saying this to bash banks at all. I'm saying this because it's a computer system that you're dealing with. And I don't know about you, but computers and technology is really amazing when it works. But, <laughs> but when it doesn't work, it really screws up everything. Welcome to the most hated F-word podcast, where our mission is to focus on the intersection between our minds, our money, and what matters most. Together, let's fall in love with our finances. Hello, welcome to the most hated F-word podcast number two. Today, we talk with a credit guy, Richard Moxley, on whether we should defer our mortgage or not. We talk about the considerations that we must consider. We also talk about debt and the overall impact it has on our well-being. And Richard even shares some great tips on how him and his wife manage money in their marriage. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word. And today I'm very pleased to have uh, Richard Moxley on the show. Uh, I saw Richard speak Oh boy, uh, probably six or seven years ago at a financial planning conference that I was at. And I knew I was going to enjoy this presentation when he pulled out a kid's basketball net at this like financial planning conference when everyone was walking in, the speakers in their like three piece suits talking about portfolio construction of getting the smart beta investments to the small cap. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes in with a basketball net. I'm like, okay, finally. Let's hear the real, not a real speech, but entertain me. And uh, Richard did that. And it was great to see how many uh, financial planners who thought they were going to talk about smart beta investments pull out their credit cards after and buy your book, The Nine Rules. Um, I forget the exact title, but The Nine Rules Credit, basically. Yeah. I think everyone bought that book. Well, I don't know if everyone, a lot of people did. I did for sure. But it was so interesting to see how many financial planners just had no idea how credit worked. So um, there's a whole bunch I want to talk about, but first I want to introduce you to everyone. So Richard, uh, I pulled your bio from when you spoke at my conference. So (laughs) after eight years as a high volume mortgage broker, Richard Moxley was tired of helping consumers get into debt. Now he spends his time helping Canadians get out of debt and rebuild their credit. Everyone is playing the credit game, but his passion is to show you how to win and have some fun along the game. I, Fun playing credit. I'm sure everyone's going to be looking forward to this. Um, he is a best-selling author. I mentioned the nine rules of credit. Uh, Derek or Derek. Um, Richard also has I've been a called worse. <laughs> yeah. Richard also has another book that came out, I believe, a late part of 2019. But I'll give him a chance to talk about that. Just called the credit game. Yeah. Um, professional speaker. Derek is. Oh my God. So. Uh, <laughs> I had a call with a guy named Derek right before this. Um, Richard is, uh, is you can Google him. You'll see him on CTV, CBC, Global. Uh, something, I, I'm curious about this, but I saw you won a financial literacy leader of two, in 2000, two different years back to back. So that's really impressive. Um, and finally, Richard has five kids, which I think is great because the point of this podcast is to talk about uh, our money, our minds, and what matters most, and certainly family matters at a time like this. So Derek. Just call me Derek. <laughs> All right, Derek. No. Let's have it on the screen. 
<laughs> my lord okay richard uh the last thing i want to comment on your bio says you're the bill nye of the credit guy where'd that come from <laughs> uh you know i was doing a a presentation uh, about marketing uh and specifically to mortgage brokers who you know, you could say they're a dime a dozen because there are a lot of mortgage brokers, just like there's a lot of financial planners or a lot mm -hmm. of realtors or, or anyone in the, in the financial space. And the point of what I was speaking about is telling your story, um, giving them something that connects the, the audience to you as opposed to feature dumping on them about how great you are let's talk about something that will really connect with them. And then that connection will stay much longer than knowing that you're a condo specialist or, or that you, you make your clients a bunch of money. Um, in the end, I don't think people care about that. I think it's more about the connection and Bill Nye is, uh, someone I think we all grew up with, uh, in our age group. Yeah. yeah. And people instantly realize that they connect because he, uh, you know, has an interesting sense of humor. Uh, he's passionate about science, which some would say is kind of dorky, uh, but he loves it. He makes it fun. Uh, and uh, so I thought, you know, as I was doing this presentation, I train changed all of my taglines and social media as the Bill Nye. Of I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I have to say, based on uh, your conversation about telling a story and leaving people with something to remember, uh, I, I last time I seen you, you were in a kilt. <laughs> uh, I was going to wear that today to just oh, okay, uh, yeah. bring back some, some nightmares for you. Yeah, <laughs> no, but you know what? I when, I when I first saw your title, Freedom, I knew your background and I knew um, what it could be about. And, but being in the financial planning space myself, you often hear this word freedom all the time. And like the freedom, like freedom, whatever. Freedom 55. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's just like, to me, it's a fallacy and there's research around it that shows that what, and I work with retirees it, when you, is it freedom when all of a sudden you don't have an identity anymore? You worked under this certain umbrella and then all of a sudden, poof, you don't have that anymore. So when I saw that word freedom, I'm like, I wonder what approach you was. And you left me and I know a lot of other people with a really strong emotion with your brave heart analogy about freedom just from the constraints of, um, of debt. And I, you know what? I want to open up with a question um, around debt and the constraints it can put on us. And what makes you passionate about this industry in terms of debt? And when your bio says you're passionate, I, that's not just a word that's in there. I see your videos online. I've seen you talk twice in person. You are passionate about debt. But what is it specifically about debt that you're passionate about talking about? You know, one of the things is I started in the finance industry. Mm -hmm. I, I thought I had missed some class somewhere about where this was explained <laughs> in detail. Uh, you know, as I, the first time I saw my credit report, it was uh, when I was a mortgage broker and I was, and I'd already looked at six or seven other people's credit reports. And I was like, wait a second, I've never even seen mine. Uh, as I was gaining experience and kind of hashing it out or, or, you know, running through walls, trying to figure the whole business out and, and figuring out finance in general, it, it just, it bugged me the fact that there's so much questions, regardless of how intelligent or, 
or whether you grew up in Canada or you're new to Canada, what your age is or what your qualifications are. Uh, it just seemed like credit and debt was just something that people talked about, but there, there seemed to be a lot of holes in the whole story. And, and that was something that I really hate not knowing something uh, or, or finding out later that if I had just known that one thing, mm-hmm. you know, it still bugs me about investing. You know, if I had, <laughs> you know, I think about it, I don't, I don't want um, a million dollars or, or someone just to, or to win the lottery. I, I would have really liked to know about Google before Google, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, before everyone knew, you know, I, I, I really feed off of knowing something and then, and then I guess helping people understand what those insights are when, when they have questions around it. Uh, so as much as credit may or may not affect your life, if it does, there's, there's at the time, there's really no one that I could point to, to, to get any information from, or to point my clients to. So essentially I had to work at becoming that person so that everyone in the financial industry who doesn't necessarily love credit or think it's, you know, it doesn't have that passion. They have passion about whatever they're doing mm-hmm. that we could work together so that the client is still getting helped. So the, the Canadians, the consumers still have somewhere to turn to when they mm-hmm. need help. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I, I thank you for that because really I, I always was looking for, personally and then from a professional standpoint and someone that I where I can send someone to get information and yeah. again when I saw you speak I was like wow finally and the yeah. way you do it is so fun but um my question for you is uh, again uh, this show wants to explore kind of the the money stories and a lot of psychology behind what we do so if I use an iceberg analogy yeah. um, the tip is what we see those are our actions those are like the cool conversations about like high leverage loans to double our income or double our so cool uh, so <laughs> cool yeah uh, so yeah um, underneath that iceberg is a whole bunch of different things that really really uh, are the key drivers in somebody's life so my question to you is being as a mortgage broker giving people debt now helping people navigate debt what do you believe about debt to be true? What I mean by that is what role does it play in our lives? Should we have debt and at what cost is it costing some people? So I, I don't want to get into the e- economics of, mm-hmm. of a country or, or a business uh, because uh, I mean, everyone can have their different opinions. And, and I know that the economy feeds off of debt and, and businesses are always encouraged to leverage to, yeah. to, to better their situation or their uh, profitability. Now, we won't get into that. But personally, mm-hmm. I think on a personal level, anytime you take on any kind of form of debt, you're, you're giving a piece of your soul <laughs> if you want to give it that. Um, maybe if you don't want to get that dramatic and call it, your I, soul, I like it. <laughs> um, it, it restricts you in some way, shape or form. Um, for example, we're seeing this right now with COVID-19 where people for years, uh, in the real estate investment game have been saying that real estate investing is low risk. Uh, you never lose 
high returns. And, and I think a lot of this has changed. So I, those that are, have been saying that, I think stopped or have kind of been run out of town with the 2008, 2009 downturn. But, uh, and, and, there's, and I'm not bashing real estate investment mm-hmm. at all. But what I am saying is that a lot of the, the, the thought process behind mortgages is that even if you had millions of dollars in the bank account, uh, you should still, or in investments, you should still have a mortgage on your owner occupied property so that you could take that money and invest because it's the lowest interest rate. It's whatever. And I'm not saying that that isn't a smart plan, but what I'm, what I am, but what we're seeing is that the rules have changed very quickly. And if you have a HELOC or home equity line of credit, a line of credit attached to your house, or if you have done a lot of rental investing and, and leveraged yourself or over leveraged yourself, you're now in a position where you're not in control as what you were last month. Mm-hmm. And anytime that you give or take money from someone else, you're bound by their terms and conditions mm. and your life uh, becomes restricted in or can become restricted in some way, shape or form. So I'm not saying that all debt is bad, but I'm never going to say debt is good. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a mortgage or a student loan, all debt is debt Yeah, <laughs> and it comes with rules and restrictions and it comes with the, the potential of restricting you in some way, shape or form. Um, I, I really like, I have a little quote that you just said is bound by their terms and conditions. Yeah. And the reason why that resonates with me is something that I'm exploring on this podcast is what is financial independence. And there's a definition that floats around is you can live off your passive investments. And I mean, we could make different definitions for anything maybe, but I'm making, to me, it's like, how do I coexist with my finances, whether that's my income, my investments or my debt so that I could just be, be with myself. Um, And when there's those rules or those terms and conditions placed on us with debt in times like this, it's challenging. And you probably have clients who are feeling it right now. And this brings me a question for you about opportunity costs. So you were alluding to having a, um, a primary on your primary residence, having a mortgage on it, you can invest money elsewhere. And then we can get into the nitty gritty of the um, opportunity costs, which one's better. But a question that I'd like to ask you is based on the clients you've dealt with, and most of them have some debt, presume, presumably, what, is, what do you think the opportunity cost is of just not having debt? And like, we can't put a dollar on that, but yeah. especially given right now, the, 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 the freedom or the, the, the feeling of ease. Yeah. I, and it's hard with, because an opportunity cost is really an economic term. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, if you made a choice between two decisions, what's, you're not only a sunk cost, which is what you lost, but what you could have gained by going the other route. Right. And, and I think your direction of the podcast is, is definitely a unique one because when you talk about dollar and cents, it's finite and, and you can remove all emotion from it. I'll tell you one thing. I lived in Argentina for a couple of years and I've seen some of the happiest people being 
the poorest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you go up and you walk to someone's front door and there is no door um, because it's warm there <laughs> and they don't need doors, I guess. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, your tin roof, cinder block houses, you know, um, you can still have freedom. And, and some would argue, and you probably make a very strong case, that you'd have more freedom in that situation than you would living a, a typical lifestyle here in, in Canada or North America. So the dollar cost, I think, would be impossible to, to, to really calculate because I think with debt, you would always win or, or the numbers would probably always be in your favor. But there's an emotional power. There's a, there's a definite power when, when there comes to freedom. Um, and I mean, you could watch any Disney movie <laughs> or any, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure there's tons of movies you could reference where, you know, the, the money or the corporate lifestyle or the, the success that they grew up with or the main character grew up with was completely thrown out with, you know, a rocking chair, you know, with a, a field of dreams, whatever you want to call it, but just something that meant to the much more to them than just the dollar and cents. Yeah. Um, that, that makes me think of a study. I can't remember. It was a what journal. It was, I think this uh, journal of psychology in the States, but it talked about, um, uh, I think it was $5 million of liquid assets. People who had $5 million of liquid assets had a 20% more likelihood to experience depression. Yeah. And, and the reason being is like they've made the goal, like the, like they had an <laughs> arbitrary goal and they made it and they yeah. thought it was going to make them happy. And now they just realize they sacrifice time, energy, time with their kids maybe. Yeah. And they're like, wait, it didn't happen. I'm not happy. <laughs> it, it, it's not there. And, and one thing that when talking about this, I want to make sure, or, or one of the things I'm passionate about is instead of talking about $5 million of liquid, I, I definitely get where you're going there, but I want to make sure that it doesn't have to be 5 million. Cause when I, like, I don't have the goal of 5 million. I don't know how many of your viewers do maybe a lot no, do. Or not, this was this journal. They define exactly. Super yeah. But, but when we're talking about uh, that, sometimes I think people check out because they're like, yeah, uh, I yeah, just, okay. I, I just want to make my mortgage payment. I just want to have a hundred thousand or, mm -hmm. or whatever the goal is. But I think I think it's anything. It could be, I have a goal. Like I know I noticed in my life that I always was looking so far ahead that I didn't enjoy what I was doing. When I was in school, I was so desperate to graduate <laughs> and, yeah. and that's when I was going to be happy. Yeah. But I wasn't happy during it because I was waiting for graduation to happen. But then when graduation happened, the, that happiness wasn't there like I thought it would be. So I think it's anything in our lives where we put our happiness in a future state. And, I, and I'm actually writing a book with my wife right now. And, and I want to explore that more. I haven't fully developed it, but I, I, I love that point of, you know, how do you coexist with the debt that you currently have? So we can talk about it and say, oh yeah, just choose a debt-free life. But you could say, oh, well, wait a second. I have 
I have debt right now, so how do I get there? Mm -hmm. And I think that coexistence or being happy with where you are right now is one of the first steps of digging yourself out of debt or having more freedom because maybe you are okay with the debt and it's not a big problem. Um, but you won't really know until you, you really develop that or, or define that relationship where you are at currently in life instead mm -hmm. of just always, you know, I'm going to put all my money away just to be debt free. Well, maybe that won't give you the, the, the burst of energy or the happiness you're looking for. And then you just fall right back into totally, debt. Afterwards. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like the analogy of the smoker going to the doctor and being like, give me some heart rate pills to lower my heart rate. Yeah. And they just keep smoking. So I, I promise we'll get into the mortgage deferral because it's important. Uh, but you talk about this relationship and I, I, we all are in a relationship with money, whether we like it or not. And it's interesting when you think about your money relationship, because a lot of us like, avoid our money. A lot of us uh, stick our head in the sand to do the ostrich, ostrich effect around our money. Um, we don't treat our money well because we don't want to look at the ATM bank statement. So if we looked at like, would we date our money? The answer would probably be no. Help us understand, um, if you don't mind, what, what your money relationship is. And I, I'm going to ask you a question and you can say no, we can edit it out. But uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> maybe go back go back to when you were even being raised because there's a lot of really good research that shows that on our upbringings, we developed these scripts that unconsciously um, were formed when we watched, listened to our parents and then they kind of influence us going forward. So maybe like without, uh, you don't have to tell us our, your whole life story, but <laughs> as a kid, what was the money story going on? What did you pull out of that? And then now with your wife, uh, what is your current day money story? So, yeah, it was interesting growing up because I, I definitely had some mixed feelings about money. Um, my dad was an entrepreneur and my mom, uh, you know, he was orchardist and kind of an entrepreneurial type guy. Um, my mom told me once uh, or my dad told me I should be a salesman because I could always write my own check, um, which I thought was a cool concept. Um, my mom, on the other hand, told me that uh, salespeople were liars and cheats oh. so <laughs> definitely had a conflicted between yeah. parents and i think that definitely comes into play when you get married and and you have that mm -hmm. you know that relationship with someone else that has a completely different story um i i loved business and i loved sales um not necessarily sales and in, in you know just because i wanted to get the money it was more about uh, it was just more of a game or it was fun for me. Uh, like I remember as uh, a young kid in grade three, uh, I would play marbles because the school was big into marbles and we'd have tournaments. Mm -hmm. And so I'd win them, then sell them back to my classmates. <laughs> and then I'd go to the store and my dad helped me. He gave me his fishing tackle box and, you know, I'd uh, put all in there I'd go buy them for a certain price or as cheap as I could get them and then I'd go and and sell them to my friends or you know people at school and I'd, <laughs> I I open up the tackle box and it like kind of opened up like this display box yeah. and I just walk around with my tackle box and uh you know steel bearings and and, yeah. and then I I was pretty good at marbles so you know I, I'd win a lot of them back and then just 
go and sell them. Uh, so my dad uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, I can imagine you know, your dad he, would be proud of you walking around with that tackle box. <laughs> yep, that's my son. So, <laughs> yeah. so I was I, I definitely got the entrepreneurial spirit from from him, uh, and I enjoyed it because uh, it it was a way to connect with people. It was a way to provide something that they wanted, um, but it, it was fun. Um, and then, you know, on, on the flip side of that, um, my parents, both of my parents were not very good with money. Um, and so I saw later on in my life how much fighting and how much pain was involved with money. Mm. And I had kind of, I was one of those kids that thought a lot about the future when I was younger. And so I, I'd actually lie awake at night thinking, how could I not get divorced or separated? How could I, you know, how could I be rich, uh, essentially, so that I would never have to fight with my wife, uh, and I would never have to essentially go through that pain or that experience with the cause of money being that. So I always wanted to be rich, mostly just so I wouldn't have to be afraid or it was a fear aspect. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until I really figured out why I wanted to have the money that I realized it was all fear-based. <laughs> uh, right, and, right. and so once I figured out that, uh, it's not that I don't enjoy the aspect of money or finances in, in general, but now it's more about uh, the enjoyment of it. And, and I don't really have a fear of bankruptcy or, or you know, divorce or, or, or failure because I didn't make enough money or because I'm not rich enough. Um, mm -hmm. So it's definitely been a journey and a, a huge process change. Wow. Um, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, oh, that was free counseling. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple things. We'll get to the mortgage deferral, but a couple things there. Um, At what point do you, and you mentioned the word journey and I want to keep that in mind journey. Uh, a lot of times people think when we change or you hear people overnight success, the person would say, yeah. well, yeah, 25 years or whatever the joke is that people always yeah. say, but, but what you had this fear based money script essentially that said like, you know, I, I need to prevent being divorced or fighting with my wife. So I need to make money. Yeah. But at what point, and I don't think there's a point in time, but how did you start to rewire that to now, as we kind of said earlier, coexist with money? Because it certainly sounds like you've gotten to that area now. Because I think a lot of people struggle with, they don't know why they can't change around money and actually many things in life, but they just, I guess we don't have the means or the capabilities to go deep below that iceberg model. What helped you get there? Because it's not easy re rewiring that script. Yeah, you know, it, it would be nice if we all like had a, a, a class in school or something and uh, we came out the other end and we were just like light years ahead. Mm -hmm. But I think part of the journey is don't be afraid of the fact that you might not get it for another 10 years. I I think a lot of times if, if we this aspect or this, you know, social media paints everyone in a perfect picture <laughs> or having the best day of their life. Um, and I think that scares a lot of people or depresses a lot of people. And then they go inward, but in a negative way. Um, I think the same thing happens with money. 
where you're on a podcast and, and, you know, you listen to these big famous people and they, they've got it all made. Uh, and it's kind of like, Oh yeah, I, I had this idea. It worked and everything laid into my, you know, it all worked out. I like the stories where people are, don't have it all together. They're still in the process. Um, but I think if we could get a message across, it would be, listen, it doesn't matter if it's now or in 30 years. The point is, is that if you pay attention to it, if you um, put some time and some effort behind it, then then that can grow very quickly or it could take a long time. It doesn't really matter. But I think the point is, is that you can, you can have that relationship with money. Don't worry about figuring it all out or, or what happened with me or you or whatever. But just if you can get inspired to, to look at it and say, you know what, what are my fear? Like, what are my fears? Mm -hmm. Uh, for, for me, a lot of it came from, you know, even counseling, uh, marriage counseling. <laughs> yeah. So marriage counseling was a start. Uh, and then also some personal, um, what do you call it? Uh, personal mindset yeah. uh, things, which uh, I, I wasn't really big into, but I had four or five uh, business people that were, that I respected and they all said, you need to go to this, um, you know, I think it was, it was a free weekend or whatever, or free night I went and then I paid 400 bucks and I went for a weekend and, and it wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't completely change my life, but it did open up a lot of good conversations to be had. And I think any of that personal development type, uh, type stuff is key, whether you're doing it with a course or online or with a book or, or just podcasts or whatever it is, the more time you spend focusing on it, the more time or the, the faster you'll get it. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember whose quote it is. I think it's Bill Gates, but he said people underestimate or overestimate how much they can do in one year but underestimate how much they can do in 10 years. Yeah. And, and you kind of alluded to that idea of it might not just happen overnight, but that's really what I feel is um, that coexisting. So like this finan yeah. like financial independence of the idea of I want to, here's my FI number. I think, yeah. the, I think the movement's great. I think their notions are good. Um, I just want to bring to light that we can, in, we want to be able to enjoy that whole journey. And Derek, the guy who was talking to before, uh, so that's the right use of that name. He, he talked about this idea of like, uh, he doesn't like the word goal unless you can put goal up here and you, you need to get to your goal. But mm -hmm. say you remove your goal and that goal didn't exist, that you're still enjoying the path. Right. And I, I thought that was a really good way to put it in terms of this idea of coexisting with our, uh, our money. And so I bring this back to debt is, yeah, we want to pay off our debt. Um, but going back to that question with you, how do we coexist even with our debt or even with, if we're not at our financial independence number yet, because that's to me, the present that you've talked about is the important part is that that's what we're living right now. You've got five kids that you get to enjoy with. You don't want to have to enjoy um, when you reach this goal. Finally. Um, the other thing I want to say to you, I think it should be mandatory marriage counseling for all people married. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
getting insight into our minds and how to live with someone else's. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're messed up enough ourselves, but yeah. then you put someone else in there. And and one of the things that I, I learned very clearly that really helped when dealing with finances with someone else is, is that, you know, there's right and wrong, you know, killing someone is, is wrong. Uh, you know, there, there's some definite right or wrongs, but when it comes to, you know, which way the toilet paper roll goes or, or whether you want to separate finances or put them together or whether you want to spend money on presents or not, uh, you know, there's, there, there is really no right or wrong. It's just, you have an opinion. The other person has an opinion and you kind of, you just kind of have to work it through and massage it um, because sometimes it is an agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. But how, how do you work through that without someone being right and someone being wrong? How many times do we have to make sure it's our way for that toilet paper? <laughs> yeah. you're, so, you're so true. Luckily, I mean, my wife and I agree on that oh. uh, with money, not like pretty much anything, but the, the toilet paper, we're good. Oh, good. You, you guys have made now. you yeah. got make sure that toilet paper is folded properly. <laughs> um, well, this leads me to an uh, important question on what was the biggest learning lesson or uh, we kind of chat about this, your, big, your biggest learning lesson around money. Um, I think the, the biggest one was getting married uh, because having grown up and been passionate about money and, and excited to learn about investing in different ways and, and then being in the industry with mortgages and, and real estate investing and, and all these different possibilities and looking at numbers and projections and, and all these things, uh, you know, I, I thought I knew a lot uh, about money. Um, but knowing a lot about the facts or, or knowing theory, you could say, is, is one thing. Uh, but when you tie emotion to it, as you know, <laughs> the emotion can completely throw everything off. And, and I think it's very cool that a lot of the financial professionals out there are talking more about emotion mm-hmm. now than they ever were before. Because the emotion does that's the elephant that we're all sitting on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, we're just hoping that we can control it enough to get through whether, you know, whatever the, the emotional makeup that, that we have. So tying that with my, my wife and then realizing that she had a completely different background and, and thought process around it has been the biggest wake up because when we first got married, it was, I'm right, she's wrong. And because I had more of a conversation or vocabulary around money, it was very easy for me to think and to prove to myself. And I thought to her (laughs) uh, that I was right. Yeah. But what I didn't realize I was doing is I was just, completely ignoring her emotional connection with money to the point where she would then do things her own way, <laughs> but she would do it behind my back. And then of course that caused even more problems, right? Cause I was like, no, we, we talked about this. Yeah. We had agreed on it. You said, and she's like, no, you said I was just nodding my head. Cause I wanted you to shut up. <laughs> right? Like it was, 
like her emotion was so powerful that even if I had all the rationale in the world, it didn't mean a thing without, without acknowledging that emotion and, and making it work together. Um, so whether it's debt or investments or, or even your banking, I think a lot of it has to do with acknowledging, uh, figuring out your own, <laughs> your own story, your own, uh, you know, how you coexist with what you got right going on. Uh, understand that the other person is, can go through a completely different journey or, or can be at a completely different point in their journey. And how does your stories connect? Um, you know, how does your journey, how can you help each other? Because if it was just me and I was on my regular, you know, before my, my wife, I would be working all day, every day, just because I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. Um, but I would have never spent time with my kids mm-hmm. ever. Um, I, I don't know if I would have ever taken the time to develop a relationship or, or really spent that time. And as I get older and, you know, I, I've had some success or whatever in certain aspects of it, that, that thrill is wearing off mm. real quick uh, where you think that if you're on the news or, or, you know, being in front of a, a stage, like being on stage with other people or in front of other people and, and having that, that, you know, that's pretty exciting, thrilling, but it wears thin compared to what you can have with connection with family and, and friends and, and associates closely. So I, th- that was one of the biggest learning experiences when I, when that started wearing off and I started really missing my family when, when I was away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was definitely uh big, big points. Um, ooh, lots of good stuff there. Um, we'll get to debt, but marriage and money, such a big thing. And I mean, I think I'm going to stick here for now. I'm looking at the time because these are the things that to me matter much more than the technical decision um, of any sort of financial, personal finance, right. debt, investing. But um, a mentor of mine once said to me, and he does a lot of um, work with business owners who have families and businesses. And he always says, look at the lens of what will your kids say when they call you up on stage to describe what kind of dad you were? When it when like when evaluating, should I work more? Should I go to town? Should I do this? Am I spending enough time with my kids? And that really speaks to me uh, when I think about my kids of how how do I coexist working and owning a business and being a dad that is going to get a great intro speech when they call me up on stage. Yeah. Um, Makes you want to bribe your kids, eh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, can you say something nice? Yeah. When I'm, you know, while you're up there. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we could take that lens too. <laughs> um, <laughs> and actually, to be honest, I think a lot of the problems and debt that happen out there are because people are trying to bribe, maybe not mm. directly, Yeah. Um, but I, I see a lot of problems with money because parents are so uh, fixed on making sure that their kids never go through any pain or you know, they feel guilty because they are working a lot and, and can't spend that time with them. So here we're going to buy you the newest video game or, or, or 
pony. I don't know. I don't know what girls like anymore or, or anyone for <laughs> other than my kids, they yeah. want tech. So, <laughs> uh, you know, here's the newest tech or whatever it is. So that, that is something that I think happens quite a bit with, um, with just adults, um, and, and problems with money as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm actually taking a, a graduate certificate in financial psychology and they talk about the idea of using money as a leverage to gain respect or relationship with your kids. And it goes back into what are the motives behind that? What have you not fulfilled within yourself? It could be, I'm working too much. So I'm just going to try to buy their respect with this tech toy or whatever it is. Um, so I think all the more reason that this work that you've talked about and what I really think is important is understanding our money stories and psychology behind we, why we make these decisions is so important because they show up in different ways, whether it's buying our toys or bribing them or buying our kids toys. But something before, because I'm actually going to move on to the deferral after this question, but you've made a really strong comment about the money script. So your wife and you both had a story and every single marriage has different stories when they come together around everything, especially money. And um, not to go into detail, certainly my wife and I, and those are things that we had to work out. But you said something really profound to me is that you, with all this knowledge, there's like a huge bias that you should be right. But you actually opened up space to allow her emotions to come in. And I think that could solve many problems in marriages, not just around money, but how did you get there? And that might be a long story, but. Uh, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not fully there yet. I have yeah. got to the point where I realize it. Um, but, uh, you know, if my wife was on this call, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> uh, she would say, ah, he's not yeah. quite there yet. Um, you know, it, once again, it's hard when you've had a hard day or you're, deep in, you know, dealing with kids or, or mental health or, or the, the millions of different things that can affect you yourself emotionally to then go home or, you know, sit down and talk emotionally, uh, you know, in an open, safe space mm-hmm. without getting offended or bringing in your past history or whatever. Um, and, and I think our parents have all screwed us up really well that, (laughs) that, uh, you know, when, and I love my parents by the way, but, uh, I think you get what I'm saying that as far as that emotion, how do you get there? To to be honest, it's counseling was a huge eye, eye opener for me, um, to, to understand the right and wrong. Um, the other thing is to realize or, or have a stronger sense of really what I believe the purpose of this life is. And I'm not going to get all spiritual and everything on, on <laughs> with mm-hmm. everyone, but I, I really have been, uh, you know, I think a lot about it and my, my focus or, or really what has allowed me to let go of a lot of the fear and uh, the, my biggest fear of messing up or screwing it all up is realizing that I learn more when I fail than when I succeed. Mm-hmm. And not that I go out there trying to fail, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, my, my message to younger generations or younger people or, or to anyone for that matter is, is listen, you don't have to worry about being perfect all the time. You don't have to worry about getting it right all the time. Uh, really you just do your best and, and 
try and focus, put some effort in, uh, regardless of what it is. Um, but coming to a realization or a point where you can say, I actually learn more, the more I screw up. Mm -hmm. So I really just need to, to work on accepting that and trying to learn from it. Um, so I can continue on, you know, so my journey goes up or whatever Mm way (laughs) you want to point that it's, you know, at least my direction is headed in the right way, even though I may not feel like I'm, I'm really close to that finished line yet. Yeah. Um, someone has once told me is that we have the responsibility to take, um, take control of our own situation. And he's talking about failure is that when we fail, it's our responsibility to just take control of that. And I think when you do those lessons are there. Yeah. And when you realize that you fail, it helps you realize and humble yourself to understand that everybody else is failing as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when someone cuts you off, are they doing it just to be a jerk or do they have a pregnant wife going through labor or, you know, is, mm-hmm. you know, um, maybe, maybe one of their kids just died. Um, and obviously there's own doubt and trying to deal with that. And like w- when, when you start realizing <laughs> how imperfect it, like how, how much further you need to go or that it's okay that you're making mistakes, um, you can really turn that into okay, so everyone else is making mistakes as well. So we're just kind of all in it together. Totally. And we just got to be as, as patient as we can with, uh, with everyone else as well. Yeah. And you know, I appreciate your honesty. I mean, I asked you to come on to talk about debt and the mortgage deferral. And now you're talking about marriage. And, and <laughs> yeah, we're going real money, deep here. <laughs> yeah, money stories. But I really appreciate the fact that you actually are open and okay enough with, with yourself to have those conversations. Cause too often, especially as a business owner, especially as someone who I'm bringing on as a credit and debt expert to wear this veil of like, I've got all this stuff figured out. And yeah. you know, you said we're like, we're all experiencing that same thing. We're when I said, what did you do to, I forget the exact word to, but to, I didn't say make it, but to get there, to open up that space to your wife, I love how you corrected and said, I'm not there yet. <laughs> like I see it and I think we're never really there and that's enjoyment in life, but I really appreciate you being honest. And, uh, I, I just find is when people are more honest, others just be like, ah, oh, thank God I'm human. He's going through yeah. the same thing. And, um, and I, I go back to your comment about the marriage counseling. My wife and I have, have gone to some counseling as well. And it just is so good. Like it's, yeah. just, it's like, it, it's really underrated. It uh, is. There's so much fear around it because it's yeah. like, Oh, well we're going to d- divorce if we're going to counseling. Yeah. Right? It's, it, you know, it, it just makes it out to be a silly thing, but really is as the most important relationship that you're probably ever going to have. Uh, you know, you might want to spend some time uh, with just figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, people like, go on YouTube and figure out how to woodwork for hours and learn about the intricacies of woodworking or whatever yeah. it is. But they're just like marriage. Yeah. I got this stuff figured out. Like, no, yeah, we can barely figure That's what you think out. until they're gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Mortgage deferrals. Yes. So, um, a lot of Canadians have mortgages. A lot of conversations have come my way. Do I defer mortgage or not? Um, I want to get your perspective on the, what the banks are doing and maybe an explanation because there's a whole bunch of different banks saying different things. Holistically, what are your high level thoughts on the deferral? So 
my conversation, my message to Canadians is, is to protect themselves regardless or any time that they deal with a bank. And, and I'm not saying this to bash banks at all. I'm, I'm saying this because it's a computer system that you're dealing with. And I don't know about you, but computers and technology is really amazing when it works. Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but when it doesn't work, it really screws up everything. Uh, I deal and are very aware with millions of Canadians who have errors on their credit reports. And that's during a good time and a, and a typical, you know, transaction time between consumer bank and credit reporting agency, whether it's Equifax or TransUnion. Now you throw in deferrals, which not all banks and lenders are really set up for on all types of deferrals. Uh, you know, they have skip of payments or, or some banks have that and, and some don't. Um, but then all of a sudden the government, you know, kind of comes to them or the bankers association announces that they're going to defer mortgages. And immediately my red flag goes up and I'm like, that's going to create chaos on the system side. And now the bank's, you know, a lot of them, almost all of them have come out and promised that it won't affect the credit score. But I find that as uh, a very dangerous promise to be making because of the fact that they already have errors on the credit reporting mm -hmm. system. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if they were getting it perfect before COVID-19 mm -hmm. and then they promised me that it was going to be okay, then I'd have a much better chance or, or, you know, confidence that they would actually get it right. There are millions of, you know, people going and, and making calls and, and then there's people that are not necessarily in the mortgage department that are taking phone calls, writing down something right. then passing it on to someone else who's then going to input it into the system. And then of course, with all that reporting, because there's millions of transactions being reported to a computer from a computer system to another computer system, that then is being seen by consumers. For me, that's a recipe of increased errors, not decreased. So mm -hmm. my message was not necessarily that it is going to mess up your credit. My conversation was, here's what you need to know whenever you deal with a bank. You need to get something in writing, if at all possible. If not, track who you talked with, uh, you know, try and get any kind of documentation that you can. If you can talk to them electronically as opposed to verbally, that is way better because then you can track that, that information. If you pay off something, get something in writing to confirm that it's paid off because it doesn't matter what you say or what she says or he says or whatever it is. Equifax only uses the information that's reported to them. So crap in, crap out. And unfortunately, there's a lot of crap out there. So the the point was to help Canadians understand that the banker or the customer service rep saying, don't worry about it. This won't affect your credit at all. That might be true for 50% or 80% of the people out there, but it may not be true for you and you need to protect yourself and also track it. So mm -hmm. my encouragement for anyone out there, regardless of whether you got something in writing or not, at this point, if you've already done it, then just track it so that you can start the dispute process sooner rather than later. 
Um, and if you haven't done it yet and you're still waiting, then obviously, you know, essentially what you're doing is you're just taking that, that responsibility and, and deferring it or pushing it down to a later date. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're not paying mortgage or you're missing out from something. If you pay it, it's just a matter of your personal situation. So mm -hmm. if you can't afford it and you're missing other payments or, or you just, you've lost your job, you really can't afford it, then sure. Take advantage of the deferral uh, program, but just know that it could show up as an error on there and you are responsible. It may not be your fault, but you are always responsible for ensuring that both Equifax and TransUnion are reporting correct information. So when you say an error, that's what you mean. Is that the bank, I mean, by default under this normal circumstance, their system would say, you don't make this payment, we report it. But now they're going against the default saying, we're not going to report it. Error can happen. So right. by tracking it, you mean Equifax and TransUnion. And, yeah, how, and how do you suggest people do that? So there's uh, actually Equifax has stepped up um, and offered up a free uh, you can check your credit report for free online. Uh, so you can do that for the next 30 days. So that when you go to Equifax.ca, there's a little banner close to the top that says COVID-19. You click on there, you sign up, and it's free. You don't get your score, but at this point, the score is, is not really the important part. You just want to make sure everything's correct. So you take it, go through it, and and make sure that uh, that is correct. Um, and, and do that as well with TransUnion. TransUnion has always offered a free online version. Mm -hmm. uh, you could also use the free credit reporting apps like Barwell, Credit Karma, Mogo, whatever one you have access to, or if the bank's offering you one, um, some banks and some credit card companies offer it. So that however you're gonna get access, just make sure it's both facts and TransUnion, and then just stay with it. You know, put something in your calendar right. or, or you know, once a month, just check on it, see if it is reporting correctly. Okay. And if it's not, what should they do? If it's not, uh, please let me know. Cause I'd really like to know <laughs> okay. uh, who is reporting correctly and who's not. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time with Equifax on, on a phone call and, uh, you know, some of the, the higher ups there and they actually have systems in place where they can potentially wipe out any negative effect for a certain, you know, they've done that for certain areas like Fort Mac, which was oh, okay. affected by fires or, or, or certain things. Um, but they, they do have some ability to control that, but they would also like to let the lenders know if something is, is incorrect. So it can all be fixed. That's the good news is it can all be fixed, but the sooner you know about it, the better because then you're not assuming that it's correct and then go for a renewal on your mortgage or, yeah. or go for some other type of financing cause you desperately need it. And then all of a sudden, Oh no, we can't do it cause there's a bunch of late payments. So normally um, if there's an error, you usually have to go through the financial institution that has to talk to Equifax. But in this case, um, you're saying that I would never go to the, well, that's not true. So you could go to your, uh, financial institution. Um, but mostly my conversation with them would be, can I have something in writing to say that this isn't correct? Right. Okay. Uh, I would never trust, uh, someone at the, any level in the bank to actually go and fix that with Equifax and TransUnion. It's not that I I'm saying they're bad people or that they're trying to lie to you. It's just the, 
the nature of the beast is you have to be responsible. So get something in writing so you can prove that you're not just making it up mm-hmm. and then take that to Equifax and TransUnion to get it disputed. Okay. Uh, my next question is, I, I've been looking into it and uh, by no means do I have the expertise around mortgages as yourself, but do we know, have they announced, is there a universal way they're treating these payments? Is it at the end of our current term or, oh, or at the end of the amortization period? Uh, there, there is no universal way. Uh, some lenders where with your taxes and insurance and included are not including the taxes and insurance and some are. Uh, some are adding it to the end and all that happens to your payment once you restore it is essentially if you owe 200,000, well, let's be real. So you owed 400,000 yeah. and then now you owe 4,000 and I don't know, uh, let's say six or trying to do the math here, let's say 412,000. And now you're paying the interest on mm. 412,000 as opposed to 400,000. Right. Um, so, so you're now that may seem like a big jump and that's really going to affect your payment. Really. It doesn't affect your payment that much. It's mm-hmm. generally, you know, 40, 50 bucks or less um, just because it's amortized over 15, yeah. 20 years, whatever your amortization period or life of the mortgage is that will really affect on how big of a jump it is. So not, not a huge deal if you're doing it that way. Uh, and then there's some lenders that are making you pay the interest, but not the principal. So, oh, okay. it, um, you know, you know that I, I haven't tracked it in detail. Uh, you know, there, there's probably a lot of other different ways or, or explanations with that, but, but really, it's going to depend. So you need to talk to the the individual yeah. lender that you're with. So I guess what I'm getting to that is just make sure we have clarity. We get yeah. it in writing. Um, we certainly track it. Um, there's a, a fellow here in Edmonton. His name's Jason Watt. He owns a business career college. So he does a lot of education yep. for financial planners. Um, he he put on his LinkedIn and I'll, I'll put that in some show notes, a link to this calculator that he built. Uh, he, I mean, he's not standing by it. It's free. So if the numbers are wrong, uh, he puts a little disclaimer in there, but, um, <laughs> don't, he, does don't an, me. Yeah, he does an example of $450,000 mortgage. They deferred it for three months and the interest rate was like 2.97%. But at the end of a 20 year left amortization, I think it was, it was like $11,000. If you just kept that going, like it, and it increased it, I think by like 12 bucks a month. And then it costs about 11,000 over the next 20 years. If it did it yes. in the next, in the current renewal period, which I think he had it like four years left, it was like only $9,000. Yeah. It, it's, you know, um, you could probably quote it better, but the, uh, I think it's Albert Einstein with the compounding interest is like yeah. the eighth wonder world or, yeah. or yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it will either save you or kill you one or the other. Um, because it's amortized over such a long period of time, uh, it, it it's not you can't take it at face value. So you can't look at it and say, well, my interest rate's only two point nine percent, so yeah. it is my lowest debt. So I'm just gonna let that go and and you know invest instead or or, or whatever. Um, any any dollar that you have and you extend it over twenty years, fifteen years, ten years, whatever it is that that becomes 
so much more on compounded interest, uh, which is, you know, in, in Canada, it's compounded every six months. So not as much as the States, but it, it is, it is, um, it is a, a lot because you're, you're, you know, we talk about 400,000, like it's no big deal. Uh, a lot of people don't have four $400,000 in their investments. So, you know, it, it is a, it can be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And my last question on it. So, but I, I've been finding there's a lot of like two, like basically two things you can do defer or not defer. Yeah. And we talked about opportunity costs and from an economic perspective, it's a dollar value, but I like to also think of it in a different way. So like, say we're not sure if we're going to have a job. There's a lot of uncertainty and certain cause causes us to ruminate it causes stress. It causes uh, fear. Yeah. If we don't know where we're going to be in f- three months, financially one month, and this looks enticing. Um, we all, I feel like we also have to look at the opportunity cost of not sleeping at night, being stressed, yeah. um, having all this emotion built up versus like, I guess what I want to get across is like, do some math. Sure. But say my example there, I defer it by three months and it compounds out over 20 years, $11,000 yeah. from a mortgage perspective. It doesn't have to play out that way, right? Like if things pick up for me in three years, I can do additional payments. I can eventually make up for that. So it's not that $11,000. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. 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 It, uh, it's one of those things where I, I completely agree that there's the numbers and, and that can look very scary. Um, but I've had people come in and, and literally be bedridden or, you know, like really mess themselves up physically because of how much stress and, mm-hmm. and emotional strain that they've experienced because of finances. And so, you know, that's one of the things where when you really have to know who you are and, and go through that because, you know, if, if bankruptcy or foreclosure or, you know, if these things are the worst things that are going to happen to Canadians, then, you know, when we talk about a war uh, with COVID-19, mm-hmm. you know, that's a pretty, you know, that's, that's a small casualty compared to life, you know, right. and, yeah. and all the, you know, we have, even in seclusion, we still have Netflix. We still have like <laughs> all these amazing things that yeah. the majority of the population of the world doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And, and we enjoy that and we take it for totally. granted every day. Yeah. And so here we are talking about our finances and yes, you want to be smart and be alert. Um, but once again, you know, that if you need the deferrals, I, I do think it's worth taking, uh, even if it does report wrong or screw up your credit in some way that can all be fixed. Mm-hmm. The most important is, you know, making sure that you can work through this on a mental and emotional, mm-hmm. keep it together. Cause we might be in it for another three months or mm-hmm. five months or whatever it is. Right. So that's something where, because it's a longer term type thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, businesses are getting a lot of support now. So I think things will actually turn around as opposed to get much worse than what they already are on maybe the job level levels. But then also a lot of companies are, you know, already pushed to the max and, and maybe this is the tipping point. So, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen, but I think to your point, because uh, now I'm just rambling, <laughs> is uh, is essentially just 
look at it and take it as an option. And, and it's not like you're committing some kind of financial sin right. or, mm-hmm. or screwing up in some big way by deferring your mortgage. It mm-hmm. can all be fixed. I, I, you, you make a good statement there. You're not committing a sin because there's a couple of people I've talked about felt like they're actually committing uh, like the worst financial decision ever. And I think it's because we're so used to paying our bills on time. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just that idea of not paying it, it freaks people out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it, it's a definite emotional brainwash. And I'm not saying it's a bad brain brainwash. It's just saying it's we've as a community, as a culture, it's very ingrained in us. And, and so if it's, this is your first time that mm-hmm. you've ever missed a mortgage payment, yeah. it is a big hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think the notion you're giving on is track your, uh, track your credit score or your credit report, not score to credit report to make sure it's reporting. Just the, the sentiment I'm getting from there is be aware of what's happening. And same yep. thing when someone's deciding to defer or not be aware of everything. What are your expenses? Have you cut everything you can if possible? Have you looked at the cost that it's going to cost you over 20 years? Keep in mind, you could fix that th- a year from now by adding more payments. Right. Um, but it's just being aware, I think, is the message I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I think uh, the fear is the biggest obstacle mm-hmm. that we have. So, yes, you want to be aware. And a little bit of fear is good because it heightens our alertness to the situation. But obviously, too much fear will either cause us to stand still, mm-hmm. to panic, or to just run away. Although we have nowhere to run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Order's closed. Okay, everything's closed. Um, okay, so I'm being mindful of time here. Just a couple quick questions for you. Yep. Um, in the notion of whether it's finding out uh, how to change our stories, like you kind of talked about you being uh, having your own money story coming into light with your wife or debt or personal finance, what's one book you'd recommend? And I'm going to recommend your two books and I'm not saying that because we're talking because we all are ruled, not ruled, but we all are influenced by credit and we don't know how it works. So get, get Richard's books, but for you, what's a book that you would recommend to other people? Uh, You know, I've always liked the wealthiest uh, or um, richest man in Babylon. Uh, The wealthy barber is always a good one, of course. Uh, And, and they, and the reason why I like both of those is because they're, they follow the same principle, which is, the information in there is pretty basic, but what I love about the both of them is there's a story attached to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the richest man in Babylon, uh, I don't know when that came out, uh, but it, it's, it's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the information, you know, cause it's with the story and stuff like that. It, it just resonates more with me. I, I like the story. So yeah, great. The information you know, mm-hmm. you could find it anywhere on any blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily quite have the same story or connection because that's what I like it for. Okay. Um, what's what's a, a money habit? We kind of talked about habits. Uh, what's a money habit that you enjoy about yourself? What's a positive money habit? Uh, you know, I've, I, I like watching... I, like I get more enjoyment out of money growing in an account mm. than I do actually spending it. Mm. So, uh, you know, I've, I've always been a, a saver if you want to call it that, but I, I've, I've always enjoyed 
the the money growing as opposed to you know getting a new thing um, so yep and then because we are human what's a a, mon- a money habit you wish you could change but it's just so darn hard <laughs> um i think uh you know i don't know why i'm not prepared with this one because it it's a good one and my mind's kind of gone blank but you might have to edit this uh, for time, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe a second. Uh, I think, uh, I think the biggest is still having that that connection with money and self confidence, um, because, like I said, I grew up with, you know, I wanted to have money because money could solve all problems, and lack of money would then be less power or less control over Mm -hmm. your situation. And that's still rooted in there. I I like to know what's going on. I like to be in control or, you know, COVID-19 comes or COVID-20. I don't know if it falls in, Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, we don't know what's coming, but let's say that comes, you know, the more control you have over a situation, the easier it is to just, kind of just say, you know, I'm good. Uh, but when you're not in control, uh, and, and, and things are going harder then I still have that, I still have that part of me that, uh, has that fear or, or wanting more control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I see money as a, uh, seeing money as a way to control that, which it is in some aspects, but I think a lot of it, you know, um, it's limiting because it's fear-based. Yeah. Well, I totally appreciate your openness and uh, willing to have different conversations than mortgages and debt, but uh, I think it's all, all very important. And um, for people who want to find out more about your books, where they can buy your books, if they have specific questions, I assume they can get in touch with you. Maybe just help people find where are, Tell people where they can find you. So creditgame.net is uh, where it has uh, my book. Uh, it's the newest book. I mean, you can get it on Amazon and iTunes and stuff like that. But uh, creditgame.net has you know a message board. You can always get to me. Uh, mm. I'm on most of uh, the social media stuff out there. So you know you can search in Credit Game Canada or Credit Game and and find me somewhere uh, on there and and just reach out. So that's probably the easiest way. Okay. Well, I, I certainly urge everyone to go take a peek at uh, Richard's site and the books are great. Um, very insightful. And I like your fun uh, way of delivering this information. Um, well, thank we, you. we didn't get to a question. Maybe we'll have to have another one about how you got a business license revoked in grade three. Uh, um, but I, I'm 11 minutes over your time. So Maybe we'll have to have a second call one day. Yeah, we'll leave a cliffhanger or something. Yeah, we'll leave a cliffhanger. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, and I really appreciate it, and I hope uh, you and your family are doing well. All right, thanks. Okay, thanks, Richard. Take care. All right, thanks for tuning in. That was fun. I urge everyone to go to creditgame.net to get a copy of Richard's book, The Credit Game. Credit is one of those things that impacts all of us, but yet we learn so little information on how it actually works. Fortunately for us, he lays it all out in this wonderful book. Also, 
If you're thinking about deferring that mortgage, don't be afraid to defer it if you're feeling financial hardship or financial stress. There's a lot of talk out there talking about the numbers. Yes, we have to be aware of them, but just keep in mind that you can make up for those payments later. You can increase your payments after this uh, COVID-19 um, goes back to normal if it does. So the thing we really want to get across here is you can defer your payments, do the math, know what you're deferring, but don't be afraid if you're feeling financial stress right now. Thank you so much. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your podcast player and visit us at themosthatedfword.com. Thank you.